Good morning, everybody. Um, please keep your Bibles open if you can in Isaiah. Um, we are on page 575. It's going to be really helpful because we're going to step through Isaiah. It's quite a long reading. So hopefully, if you keep the Bibles open, we can sort of look down as we go through and we know roughly where we are. Now, um, reading um, Isaiah, it's a little bit like walking around a portrait gallery and looking at um, paintings hanging on a wall side by side. And together, they, they create a collective impression on the one who views it. Um, this morning, Isaiah has given us four pictures of Jesus Christ to consider. And we have the, um, the shoot, the new shoot from the felled tree, which we had in verse 1. We have the picture of a perfect king. We have the one who brings about a perfect world. And finally, at the end, we have the one who signals for the lost and the broken to come home. And the question we're going to be asking is, what impression of Jesus do those pictures leave you with as we step through? So do have your Bibles open, page 575. Um, that first picture of a, a new shoot coming forth from a felled tree. I wonder how you felt when you heard the news, the tree at Sycamore Gap, when it was cut down. And that meant a lot to a lot of people here. And for some, it might have represented significant personal uh, history, um, perhaps a happy memory that you associate with that place. In one sense, it's just a tree. But judging by the public outcry when it was chopped down, for many people, it was more than just a tree. It was a picture of something else. It was a symbol of something much more significant in their lives. Now, Isaiah, um, in the context of the reading we've just had, he's been telling a tale of two trees, um, two trees that have been cut down. And these trees, they're symbolic pictures of something much more significant. One of the felled trees, uh, it represents the ancient nation of Israel, and the other, the ancient nation of uh, Syria. Two great trees that were cut down, but with two very different outcomes. Assyria uh, was one of the great en enemies of um, ancient Israel. It had destroyed much of their land. And in the verses just before our reading, Assyria is getting closer and closer to Israel. If you were to glance down at chapter 10 um, and verses uh, 28 to 32, uh, you see there are a list of place names. Um, they might not mean very much to us, but the effect is of getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. It's a little bit like if we were using place names we might know. It's like saying, um, he has come from Glasgow. Sorry if you're from Glasgow. He's, he's come from Glasgow. He passes through Edinburgh at Berwick-upon-Tweed. They lodge for the night. Annick trembles. Ashington has fled. Cramlington cries aloud. This very day, he will halt at Cow Hill and shake his fist at Benwell. So you can sort of get the vibe. It's getting closer and closer. Assyria is pictured advancing closer and closer to Israel. Now sitting on the very doorstep of Jerusalem, like they were sitting on Cow Hill, just shaking their fist at Benwell, ready to pounce, ready to invade, and ready to conquer it until 1034, just before our reading, we hear that the Lord of hosts, he will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great heights will be hewn down, and the lofty brought low. He'll cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon, a place famous for mighty trees, will fall by the majestic one. So the fall of Assyria 
on the doorstep of Jerusalem as it's about to attack. It's pictured here as the cutting down of a great tree or a great forest, perhaps. But it's not the only great tree that's being cut down because before the Assyrian army finally fell, they caused a huge amount of destruction to the people of Israel. On the glistening heights of the kingdom of Israel, the people could look back and picture the prosperity that once existed in their lands that was now destroyed. The glistening heights of David, the son of Jesse, and his great kingdom, now reduced to piles of rubble, full of hurt and pain and loss. Israel itself was a felled tree, and the once great line of kings that had come from the family of Jesse was now but a stump of Jesse. That's how we begin in our passage from Isaiah 11 that we had read, with two stumps to consider. Uh, The one on the left here, it's the stump of the once mighty Assyria, chopped down by the Lord in judgment. And the one on the right, the stump of the once mighty Israel, now the stump of Jesse's line, chopped down by the Assyrians before their own demise. It's not the most uplifting image to begin with, I apologize, until we consider the shoot, the shoot coming forth from the stump of Jesse. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Now, humanly speaking, the nation of Israel, it looked completely broken at the time Isaiah's writing. It looked finished. Assyria would not be the last nation to come and invade them and kill them and burn their homes and take their people off into captivity. They'd be followed soon by the Babylonians and then the Persians, and the Romans would do exactly the same thing to them again. And all of this happened to God's people because they kept turning away from him. They kept turning away from God. They wouldn't trust him. They wouldn't love him. They wouldn't honor him. They wouldn't obey him. Time and time again, they had rejected the God who made them and who loved them and who had given them everything. So just as... Adam and Eve had once had to leave the Garden of Eden because of their sin. So now the nation of Israel was being forced to leave the promised land, the land of Canaan, because of their sin. As Isaiah writes these words, all that is left of the great, the once great line of Jesse with all its promises, that great nation of Israel and its kings, is a stump. And the question is, the question they're asking is, Had God finally given his people over to the consequences of their sins? Had they finally messed up too much this time? Was there any way back? Now, in a room this size, there's probably a few people here um, asking that same question this morning. Is God done with me? Is God done with me? Have I messed up too much this time? Is there any way back? For me. If that is you, stay with me because God did not leave his people in the darkness. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. He didn't leave them in the darkness. He didn't leave Jesse's line as a stump. He didn't leave us to the consequences of our sin. He didn't leave us to the consequences we deserve for our failings. Because there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Now, if the sycamore gap tree, um, if that meant something to you, 
Um, imagine if you um, were to go back in, in 10 years' time and find a fresh shoot growing in the place of that felled tree, a little picture of hope and restoration. Maybe one day, many years' time, there'll be a great tree standing in that spot once again. In the same way, a new shoot, a new king, came from the line of Jesse. And he brought God's people out of darkness. He didn't leave them in their sins. He grew them afresh like a great tree. His name is Jesus. King Jesus once described his kingdom like this in Matthew's gospel. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds. But when it's grown, it becomes a great tree so that birds of the air can make nests in its branches. At Christmas, we often remember when Jesus was born in the humblest of settings. When the line of Jesse was only a stump, when the kingdom of God was, was only a seed, when the king of the world was only a baby. But he's so much more than that. Jesus, he's fully God and fully man. And when he came into the world, he fundamentally changed the world. And it is because of who he is and what he did, that means God is not done with you. God is not done with you. You've not messed up too much. There is a way back for you. And Jesus says, come and follow me. But if we're to follow him, we need to know what he is like. We need to know what King Jesus is like. So come with me further into our reading, verses 2 and 3. Let's hear about what this great king is like. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. These are amazing qualities, and they're the sort of qualities that we would want from any ruler. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. If we're going to be ruled by someone, we want to be ruled by someone who knows what they're talking about, someone who knows what is true, someone who knows the facts of the way the world is. Counsel. We want someone who can give sound advice and direction to our lives. Might. If we have a good king, him having the power to actually implement his good rule. That's exactly what we want. Now, the description continues in verses 3 to 5. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Words like justice, righteousness, faithfulness, equity. The language it takes us into the courtroom. Picture yourself in the courtroom where the king is presiding over the judgments of the court. And the picture here is, is of him getting every single judgment spot on. 
No false judgments against the innocent. No evil going unpunished. Imagine a world ruled by a king like that. And what makes him so good? Did you spot that in the reading? The driver behind his goodness? It is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That phrase, the fear of the Lord here, it means to worship God, to worship the Lord appropriately, to be in right relationship with him. And Jesus could not be in a better relationship with God than he is, because he is God. He's a person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's for this reason that Jesus' rule of the world is so perfect, because he is completely and totally in line with the will of God. He rules the world exactly the way it was meant to be ruled because he made it all. He made all of us. And so it is not surprising in our picture gallery that the picture of the perfect king is hung on the wall right next to the picture of a perfect world. Look down with me at verses 6 to 9. The picture of a perfect world. The wolf, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goats, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A picture of a perfect world. Wolves and lambs do not normally hang out together unless one of them is eating the other. If you had a child with you, would you let them play with a cobra? Of course you would not. All of these harmonious pairings, they run counterintuitive to what we would actually experience in the broken world before us. It's a picture of what Isaiah calls later the new heavens and the new earth, or we might use the words of heaven. It's a picture of heaven, a picture of unbrokenness. And this shoot of Jesse, this King Jesus, he is going to fix all the brokenness and all the pain and all the hurt in this broken world. And if you are here for the first time or you're looking into Christian things, hopefully, as you spent time at St. Joseph's, you've, you've noticed something a little bit different about the people here. I hope you've seen genuine love and care and concern for one another shown in this church family. And that is because of the rule of King Jesus in our lives. That is the reason. This church, it is a little imperfect picture, a little imperfect picture of what God's kingdom will one day be. It is a little picture of King Jesus, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, unbreaking this world. And one day we'll see that fully 
verse 9. They shall not, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I can't think of any part of the sea that the waters don't cover. It's a picture of total fullness. So if you've seen something a bit different about the people here, with all our imperfections, why not join us, stick around, and get to know King Jesus for yourself? The shoot from the stump of Jesse, he saves God's people from the consequences of their sins. He saves them from the world that they broke, but he also saves them from the judgment they deserve. That's when verses 10 to 16 come in. The picture, it switches again to our fourth portrait hanging on the wall of one of God signaling and gathering his people to himself. Let's just pick a couple of these verses. Pick it up at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, he shall stand as a signal for the people. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria and Egypt and Paphos and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and from the coastlands of the sea. Uh, that is longhand for saying he is going to gather his people from everywhere. Everywhere you can think of, he's going to gather his people from. And skipping down to verse 16. And there shall be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. And this is a picture of the Lord signaling, signaling to his scattered people to come home. Assyria scattered the ancient nation of Israel from Canaan, as did the other nations. They scattered them from Canaan because of their sin. They could no longer be in the presence of God. They could no longer walk with him as Adam and Eve had once walked with God in the garden. But now it was time for them to come home. It was time for them to come home, to return from their exile, to come back and to dwell with God again in his land, in his place. And it's just like when God led the people out of their oppression in Egypt with all his might and all his power, that display of his glory, and he brought them before his glory on Mount Sinai. But how was it possible for God's people to come back into his presence after they had treated him so badly? How can we ever come back to God when we have treated him so badly? Verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Um, so the root of Jesse, he's going to stand as a signal. Um, but before the root of Jesse 
would be raised to stand as a signal for the people. He was first raised to be crucified as a signal for the people. His blood was shed on a Roman cross, paying the price for our sin. And when he was raised three days later, he went on to ascend to the throne of heaven from where he will one day come and stand again as a signal for the nations to join him in his glorious resting place in the new creation. Just as he once gathered ancient Israel from the nations, he will gather each of you who love him and follow him as their king. He will gather you. Now, I said right at the beginning that reading Isaiah, it's a bit like a, a series of pictures hanging in a portrait gallery, side by side, leaving an impression on the viewer. We've seen Jesus pictured as a, a new shoot from a felled tree. We've seen him as a perfect king with all his qualities. We've seen him as the bringer of a perfect world, the lion and the lamb lying down together. And finally, as one who signals the lost and the broken to come home. What impression of Jesus does this part of Isaiah's picture gallery leave you with? Just consider that for a moment. What impression of Jesus does this part of Isaiah's picture gallery leave you with? I wonder if it makes us reconsider the default picture of Jesus that we might have in our minds around Christmas time, around this time of year, of the humble baby lying in an animal's feeding tray in a smelly stable in Bethlehem. A humble beginning, like that of a new shoot. Unimpressive. Yes, a humble baby, but so much more. A mighty ruler. God himself come down to earth who would fix all the brokenness, all the pain, everything that's wrong with this world. One who could make a way for our forgiveness, who could make a way back when we couldn't imagine a way back for ourselves. And the one who is calling us home to dwell with him, to live with him forever. Which brings us back to where we very first started, the tale of two trees. story of the cut-down tree of Assyria, which ended in death and destruction, and the story of the cut-down tree of Israel, the story which didn't end. It didn't end there. Because Jesus, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, he brought new growth and new hope and new life. Which of those two trees will you choose? Which of those two trees will you live your life by and put your hope in? Will you commit yourself to the way of Assyria, the way of the rebellious tree against God, the one that is cut down, the stump never to rise again? Or will you commit yourself in your whole life to the way of Jesus, the way of obedience to God, of the fear of him, the way of knowledge and wisdom and justice, full of growth and hope 
life. Hope which no one will ever be able to take away from you. Let's consider our response as we turn to pray. Father God, we thank you that you did not leave us like a tree cut down. Thank you that you gave your son, Jesus, to us and for us. Help each of us to follow him as our Lord and as our King. Lord, please may we go out from here today with a bigger, fresher picture of Jesus in our minds that humble shoot, humble beginnings, but the perfect king, the perfect ruler, the fixer of all the brokenness in our world, the fixer of all the brokenness in our lives, and the one who is calling us home, who promises us rest with him. Please stir our hearts to love this Jesus more and to commit every area of our lives to his rule. And in his name we pray. Amen.